Hello and welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manuel Galarza. In today's prediction show, we're going over UFC Vegas 29. We'll go over each bout, prelims going up all the way through to the main card. We've got 12 total bouts to review. The weigh-ins happened earlier today. This prediction show is coming out here on Friday evening, which I did that on purpose this week. I wanted to make sure I had a real good look at everything before we drop this video. There are some really close fights in this card. There's some fights that you just really can't figure out which way you want to lean, but we'll go over each fight. We'll break it down in detail, give you our best bets of the night. We'll give you the prop bets that we like as well, and we're hopefully helping you cash as many win winning tickets as possible this weekend. All right, so let's go ahead and dive right into the first fight of the night. That's a women's bout, okay? That's going to be a flyweight bout between Lara Procopia of Brazil versus Casey O'Neill of Scotland. All right, some just basic details about Lara. She's 7-1. and one. From Brazil, like I said, 25 years old, five foot four, 67 inch reach. Uh, Casey O'Neill is six and zero, so she's got the O. She's undefeated still. Um, from Scotland, 23 years old, five foot six, and a 69 inch reach. So physique wise, they're very similar. Okay, you're almost the same height, two inches or so, almost the same reach. I do think it plays a small part though in why Casey O'Neill wins this fight. So if you can see here on the screen, we got the arrow here pointed towards Casey O'Neill. Looking down at the fighter IQ. When I'm not sure of a fighter's IQ, fighter IQ, meaning I haven't seen anything glaring as a glaring weakness, or I haven't seen anything that's, you know, very intelligent per se. In this case, these girls have fought a combined, what, eight, six, four, 14 fights total. So there's just not enough there to be able to really look at them and decide, hey, low fighter IQ or high fighter IQ. In that case, I'm giving that kind of a fighter three stars. It's like an average score. It's like a C plus, basically, if you can sort of follow me on that. So um, both girls like to grapple. They enjoy being on the ground. They enjoy the grappling. They enjoy being in the clinch. They know how to use that to their advantage, and that's what they're good at, okay? I think Casey O'Neill wins this decision, and I want to emphasize decision, not, not going to be a finish here. So for the prop bet scenario, the over, over two and a half, goes a distance, Casey O'Neill by decision. Love that scenario. If you think Laura Procopia is going to win, take her by decision, okay? You're getting plus money in those both those situations here. But if you just want to bet Casey O'Neill straight up, she is a slight dog here. I mean, it is a pick em, pretty much. You know, when you're talking about like plus 125, that's pretty much a pick em, right? So, but I like Casey. I think that her long frame, the giraffe style, the Megan Anderson type of frame compared to Laura Procopia, Laura's always a shorter fighter in her fights. She always has a, a, a deficit in reach because she's just a, st a shorter, stockier type of fighter. In this situation here, I think O'Neill does just enough to basically defend the takedown attempts by Laura. And then when O'Neill gets on top, she carries her weight well, let's say in the lower part, the lower region, if you catch my my drift, right? So she's she's thick where it counts. And when it comes time to getting on top of Laura, I think that's going to be a big issue. I think Laura's going to feel the weight. It's going to be hard for her to get up. This is going to be a greasy decision win for Casey O'Neill. I'm talking greasy, like a split decision. Don't know who's going to win the fight back and forth. It should be close. Now, with that said, that's what I think is going to happen. But I'm not going to be surprised if O'Neill just comes in like, here's the reach part. We mentioned the reach earlier, okay? There's a two-inch reach advantage there for Casey O'Neill. I feel like on the feet, they're both very weak. Like, neither one of them are great strikers. But on the feet, O'Neill's going to have that reach advantage. That's going to matter when it gets later in the fight. So I think we open up here with a dog wing. Casey O'Neill, we have Casey to win this fight over Laura Procopia plus 125. So that's our pick. That's our pick. And again, the prop bets we went over, which would be by decision for both of them. Um, this fight will not be finished. They both have good cardio. Tough girls going to go the distance. So, all right, let's move on to the next fight of the night. And here we have, I've never said this on any prediction video, but I will say it for the first time. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull my 
take my man card out here. Going to question my manness right here. I think you might have to just toss a coin here on this one. Jaquim Silva versus Ricky Glenn. I mean, you're talking about between the both of them combined, they haven't fought in a fight in five years. Okay. So one dude hasn't fought in three years and one dude hasn't fought in two years. I almost don't care who they are. Obviously, in some situations, a fighter could have maybe a long layoff, but you just know what that kind of fighter is going to bring to the table. You know what to expect. Not here. Jaquim Silva is 11 and 2. Okay. Ricky Glenn. A lot more experience, 21-6-1, and one, and that's probably why I'm leaning towards Glenn. Because when you look at it and you try to find recent film on them, you're talking three years ago, two years ago. You're just not fighting it. You're not finding anything that's going to be super-duper relevant. So you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. You can't watch a film from somebody fighting three years ago and actually use that film and say, oh, this guy's uh, got bad cardio or this guy's got you know good leg kicks. I mean, so much happens in three years. So I just don't know what to expect. I'm going to edge Ricky Glenn here slightly. It's a pick em. It's like minus 118 to minus 108. So you're not getting more value. There's no dog or pass here, right? So I think Ricky Glenn, having fought almost double the amount of fights, you know, so that's where I think he gets the edge here. He's been in the ring more. They're both 32. So it's not an issue of him being older. Both 32 years old. Ricky has a slight height and reach advantage. I don't think that plays into it as much. As you can see in the fighter IQ, I've given them both two stars out of five. And, you know, call me rough on this one, but, like, you're not fighting for five years combined, you two you two guys. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, fighter IQ cannot be too high. You're not sharp on your feet. You haven't been in the ring in years. So I don't know what to expect. The topology's got Glenn here winning 57% to 43%, but, you know, it's a toss-up. Could Silva come in here, look really strong and great? And he always looks jacked. So the dude's like a little, a little like rocket man, like just, I mean, a rock, like strong, very like smaller kind of frame, which is interesting because he looks really strong when you see him, but he's got a small frame. So he's like, like this little gymnast body, like very compact and, and, and built and very shredded. Ricky's got like this, you know, longer frame, a uh, little bit more like he's a jogger. <laughs> I yog in my part of time. Anyway. The, the point is, I think Ricky Glenn here edges out a decision win. Um, in terms of props, I got nothing for you. If you don't want to bet on this fight and you're not sure, then take my advice and do not bet on this fight then. Because this one right here, it's hard to know what you're going to get. I mean, I have to ask the question, and you're probably asking yourself the same question too. Right? If you're riding along in your car right now here in the podcast, or if you're, I don't know, vacuuming or doing something, you have your headphones in. Have you asked yourself the question, like, how in the fuck are these guys still on the roster? Where have what rock have they been hiding under? Like, there's an actual roster. I guess like you literally still have health insurance when you're still on the roster. So like these are like part time or basically contracted employees of the UFC who technically still have like a contract. Like they're still working under that contract. Now they're getting money every week or two weeks because they're under contract. No, they have a contract stipulating what they're going to be paid and how many more fights they have or whatever else the case may be. So, yeah, Ricky Glenn and Jacqueline Silver, I guess, are still under contract for UFC. Just super weird, man. Haven't, haven't fought in three, three years and two years, respectively. I'm not going to go into a bunch of film stuff. I think it's just a waste of time. We don't know what to expect here. I did do some waste of my time. I did do some film study. I just came away thinking, I guess, the guy who's fought, like, double the amount of fights and has a pretty good winning percentage. I mean, not for nothing. Glenn is 21-6, and he's got to draw. Like, I've seen a lot worse <laughs> for guys who fought, like, 27 fights. seen a lot worse. So... All right, we'll move on here, but we're, we're on Glenn here to, to edge out some kind of a win by decision. All right, let's move on to a heavyweight bout here. We've got Josh Parisian versus Roque Martinez. Now, 
if Josh Parisian didn't have cardio issues, and I want to really raise that flag nice and high, because if he loses the fight, and I'm on him to win, I think Josh Parisian wins this fight, and he wins it by an ugly, boring decision. And, man, let me just get this out of the way. The heavyweight division for UFC is is just sharp, man. It's just not good. You've got, like, one or two, three guys at the top that you know are decent, like Stipe Miocic and, like, Nganu. And then you start getting there, like, that Jarzinho Rosenstrike, Sakai area. And then – and that's already a big dip. Like, the, the, the Francis Nganu is, like, let's say he's up here and Stipe Miocic is right here. And then, like, they, you just have to go way down here for, like, the top ten contenders. They're not very good. They're terrible. And then you got this nonsense, Josh Parisian versus Roque Martinez. I mean, in any real-world situation, like, let's, let's, let's say this is, like, Major League Baseball. And Roque Martinez is, like, I don't know, a catcher. Like, this dude is playing, like, triple-A, double-A somewhere. He's not on the majors. He's not playing. There's a lot of competition. I would imagine in 15, 20 years from now, we don't have this anymore. We don't have, like, this super-duper low-level uh, heavyweights that are still, like, straggling around the UFC. I think by then, the way mixed martial arts is moving, the way the sports are working, the way the promotions are working, we're just going to have a better, a better pool of athletes to choose from. But here we are in 2021, post-pandemic, and we're getting Josh Parisian versus Roque Martinez. And this is crap. You're going to get three rounds of just crap. By the second and a half, by, by round two, so halfway through the second round, Parisian is going to just like, I'm gassed. He's going to be gassed. Hoping he wins the first round and a half, I guess, to be enough for the decision. But he's going to start getting gassed. Not going to be much behind his punches. I would imagine third round is like this sloppy, just arms flailing. You got, you got some backhands going. You know, I've seen some of those recently from heavyweights that just got tired, just start throwing some backhands, maybe smack the guy in the face. I don't know. But all power is just gone after the first pretty much round. And I'm hoping Josh Parisian has worked on his cardio, so maybe he can go like two full rounds. Like if he can go two full rounds and win two full rounds, sweet. Josh Parisian wins. Awesome. Okay. If he's only got a round and a quarter in him, then that's where Roque Martinez, maybe Roque Martinez wins a round and three quarters. I don't know. Neither one has great striking power. Neither one has has knockout power, which is, I mean, that's like jumbo shrimp. It's just an oxymoron. Doesn't make any sense. How are you going to be a heavyweight and have no knockout power? Like at that point, you just become meat. <laughs> like you're just hanging meat for the rest of the division just to beat up on. Because even if Josh Parisian wins this fight, which I think he will, he moves on to like what I don't know to get like beat up by some other lower level heavyweight. Like he'll never step in the ring with Nganu. Like that'll never happen. He'll never get to that point as a contender. But he'll just beat somebody else's, I don't know, beating up bag. So if you can't tell, I don't expect a lot from this fight. I'm not super excited for the fight. I do think, though, just strictly from a numbers perspective, and if you could follow me here on this fight, just sort of looking at you know how these guys size up, I think from a numbers perspective, I do think Parisian is the clear favorite. He's got a significant reach advantage, almost seven inches. If he's somewhat intelligent, like I know, I know it's asking a lot these days, these lower level MMA fighters, but if he comes in here with somewhat of a game plan, he could take it easy and spar for a round and a half to two rounds and keep the distance. Roque Martinez is not a takedown guy, so he doesn't worry about like takedowns. Josh can keep the distance, tag him. Don't even hurt him. Don't even get him that like concerned. Just tag him, tag him. Boom, boom. Maybe a little left, right. A little double up the jab. You know, a little Mayweather action. Don't get too busy. Don't get in too tight. Keep it simple. Barely sweat. You know, Mayweather style. 
You know, if Josh Parisian could do that for round one, and I hope that happens after round one, I'm like, yeah, let's go. So, Tapology's got Parisian winning 89% to 11%. I, I guess they all agree with what I'm seeing, too. I think he's just a better fighter, and, and Roque Martinez is just not really good. From a fighter IQ standpoint, if you can see here on the screen, I gave them both two out of five. I, they're not very. When you're like 15, 7, and 2, which is what Roque Martinez is, you've, you've done nothing to separate yourself on a fighter IQ scale. I'm not saying he's a dumb fighter, but cardio is definitely an issue. If you're overweight, that falls into that fighter IQ standpoint. Like, lose some weight, dog. You know, you're, if you're five foot ten, and you're like two sixty five, like clearly you could do a better job in that in that area. When you talk about Josh Parisian, he's six four, so like he's justified frame wise. He's justified as a heavyweight. So, got questions about Roque Martinez's commitment level and wanting to obviously be in shape and be a real fighter. He's fighting the UFC, so like he's got a shot here. But I think Josh Parisian wins an ugly decision. He's a minus 132. I do like him quite a bit. Dare I say he's one of my favorite picks of the night. And the reason why is not because I love him as a fighter. He's got cardio issues. Oh, my God. But the minus 132, I feel like it's kind of a steal. So on Josh Parisian to get this win here. Okay, let's move on up the card here to this one is 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 the is the first fight in the card. Matt Semmelsberger versus Chaos Williams where you're like, okay, let's lock and load. Now diving deeper into the film, watching more film on both these guys. Really curious as I was going to go. I went back and forth at times. At one point, I was on Chaos Williams thinking, you know what? The guy's got great striking power. I was thinking about the Nganu fight because if you recall that prediction show, we were saying Nganu is going to have 25 minutes, you know, five five-minute rounds, so just one punch. That's a long time with a guy like Nganu who just one punch can start you. I started thinking that way about Chaos Williams. I thought, you know what? It's three rounds, 15 minutes. He can catch Matt. He can catch Matt. You know, if just one punch, he can catch Matt. But then if you do the math, like roll it back now with me. Come back. Isn't Matt Semmelsberger going to clinch him up for a period of time? Isn't Matt Semmelsberger going to possibly even look to take him down? Could you envision Matt Semmelsberger having top control for like literally half of a full round. So I'm saying over the course of three rounds, okay, five-minute rounds, two and a half minutes, Matt Semmelsberger literally is on top of Chaos Williams on the ground. That's two and a half minutes. I'm going to say another two and a half minutes, Matt Semmelsberger has Chaos Williams in a clinch position of some kind against the cage, pursuing the takedown, but again, neutralizing all of the all throwing power. So here we've got five minutes out the damn window for Chaos Williams. Now he's got 10 minutes, if you're counting with me. 10, 10, 10. 10 minutes now he's going to have to knock out Matt Semmelsberger. So it's a very limited time. One more reason why I have a problem with that, Chaos Williams tends to look for the one punch. So if he's got 10 minutes right now to just dissect and find the one punch, could he do it? Absolutely. If Chaos Williams knocks out Matt Semmelsberger, look back at this video. You could shit all over me in the comment section. I got it completely wrong. Because I did think at first he could do it. But when you start looking at how will Matt Semmelsberger close the distance, how will he make this fight shorter, per se, it's going to be via takedowns. It's going to be in the clinch. He knows he can do those things. He knows Chaos wants to stay on his feet. He knows the most the most scariest thing that Chaos brings to the table is the is the one-punch power. I mean, Matt Semmelsberger is studying that. He knows that. His, his, his fight team is working on that with him. Long story short, I think Matt Semmelsberger comes in here and he does a good job, shows high, high fighter IQ, 
neutralizes the distance and doesn't allow Chaos Williams to be able to go ahead and get off that big punch. Now, let's say Chaos gets off one really big punch. He actually goes ahead and let's say he hurts Semmelsberger a little bit. I got some faith in Semmelsberger. I think he could take a punch or two. And the guys who are wrestling-centric, like wrestling-focused, and that's a big part of their game, if they do get hurt, that's like their immediate way to like, oh, my God, I, got, I just got rocked. Let me get back to my, you know, what's good for me. Let me close the distance. Let me not get pounded in the head. So could could Chaos catch him and then Semmelsberger find a way to, to actually survive that? I think it could happen too. So I've got three stars here for both fighters in the fighter IQ. And that's, again, if you followed earlier in the other earlier breakdowns, they're just average fighters. I haven't seen anything from either guy that would suggest to me that one guy's got like really high fighter IQ and one guy's got low fighter IQ. With Cass Williams, though, after this fight, I'm going to have a better idea of where I want to put him. If he still sits there and waits with a one-punch power and just sits back and has low volume, that's low fighter IQ. That's been his issue. That's been his weakness. He can't keep doing that, okay? For Matt Semmelsberger, if he doesn't go to the takedown game and use the clinch game and takedown game to close the distance and neutralize the fight, he too, I'll be questioning his fighter IQ. So there's a lot on the table here for both fighters. It should be a very good fight. It's plus 140 for Matt Semmelsberger, and I'm on Matt Semmelsberger, but pretty much a pick him, right? According to Tapology, it's 80% for Williams. My God, the fans are like, oh, he, he could knock him out. I guess they all see that. And only 20% for Semmelsberger. But is what it is. I see Semmelsberger not only having the value at plus 140, I think he's going to grimy it up, you know, clinch up, clinch up chaos, make the situation a little hard for chaos to actually have distance and be able to get the fight that he wants. And just taking one more peek here at Chaos, you know, he's coming off the loss to Michael Pereira. And if you watch that fight, that's what happens to a guy who sits on his one-punch power. The whole fight, Chaos was looking for the one-punch power to beat up Michael Pereira. But Michael Pereira was like a, a, a jumping monkey in front of him, doing like spinning kicks and like rolling on the ground and just all this weird, weird shit, right? But that worked. That worked. That's all Michael Pereira had to do. Just three rounds of just jumping around, doing weird shit. And Chaos is like, I'm, I'm going to get him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get no, it never developed. Chaos never got a real clean punch, never even got close to hurting Michael Pereira. And when you look at Chaos's best moments, like when he knocked out Abdul Razak Alsan, which was like first round, early round knockout. I mean, he turned that dude into a statue, hit him, statue mode, right? Um, I think the fans right now are having some recency bias on that fight. They're thinking that Chaos can come in here and do this to Matt Summelsberger. I like Matt Summelsberger. He's a rough dude, you know, rough neck type of guy plus 140 so we're on a dog right there we're on matt semmelsberger all right let's move on here in the card to our next prelim fight of the night and that's going to be oh gosh yes this is another woman's fight here and man this was tough when I, I tell you this is one of the fights where i wanted to see the weigh-in i wanted to get as much information as possible i had to see multiple fights on both of them i mean i really had to work hard to get a lean here in this fight and ended up at the end of the day leaning towards murata Okay, uh, Murata versus, ja well, the fight is Verna Janjaroba versus Kanaba Murata, which is a women's strawweight bout at 115 pounds. A little bit about Verna. She's 16 and 2 from Brazil, 33 years old, 5'3 with a 64-inch reach. Uh, Kanaka Murata, she's 12 and 1 from Japan, 27 years old, 5'1 with a 62-inch reach. Now, for Murata, she's at a 2-inch uh, disadvantage and reach and height, but she's always at a disadvantage when it comes to um, whoever she fights. She's built like a prototypical wrestler. She's got a very shorter, shorter stature um, and very powerful, you know, like a little pocket rocket. Uh, 
Jejanoba is very good with jiu-jitsu, right? From Brazil, doesn't mind fighting from her back, um, has definitely fought the better competition. That's the one thing that pops out to you when you first look at who they fought. Jejanoba's been in there with a lot of girls, whereas Marata hasn't fought many people, okay? Her last win was over Ronda Marcos, which is like the most recognizable name probably on her entire resume. And Ronda Marcos is like, eh, whatever. And that was a decision win, so it's not like she you know, got her out of there. But Ronda's kind of tough to finish. So as for Janjanoba, she recently lost to Dur- Dur- She lost her last fight to Dermot McKenzie. That's totally respectable. Her prior loss before that was Carla Esparza. So like in her last four fights, she's two and two. Those two losses were to Carla Esparza and Dermot McKenzie. And mind you, they were decisions. So it wasn't like Carla finished her, and it wasn't like Dermot McKenzie finished her either. So she has the experience, right? But I'm going to tell you why I like Murata to win the fight. And Murata is another dog here, but very slight, like plus 125. Might even be even by the time the fight comes around. Murata's got this very compact style. She's very aggressive. She looks for the takedowns. I'm starting to fade. Oh, not fade. I'm sorry. I'm starting to lean heavily towards wrestlers, or I'm sorry, MMA fighters who have a really strong wrestling component. Like if a fighter is going into a fight now, and it's a fight where it's close, and this is a close fight. Even Vegas, minus 155 for Ginger Nova and plus 125 for Murata. It's close. In all aspects, it's close. Both girls like to grapple. Both of them can't throw a punch to save their life. So there's no striking going to be going on. It's going to be wrestling, grappling, position control. It's basically going to be a BJJ match for three rounds. Okay, But I give the edge to the shorter, compact wrestler type who I think will have some leverage in certain situations. Murata's not the best on top. Could she expose herself to an arm bar and give up a position? I hate to say it, but yeah, that could happen. Um, but Janjaroba has tendencies to get lazy in her game. Well, I should say lazy. She'll go on her back. It's the BJJ in her. She has no problem. Like, you know those fighters who are like locked up on their feet and they'll just like fall to their back like, hey, here, fall into my guard. I'm good down here. It's like, you know, you may think you're good down there, but People watching the fight, the judges, whatever else, you're on your back. You're, you're giving up position. It's not a great look. I can see right here Janchanoba doing that between rounds one and three too much. Being willing to be on your back for that extra 30, 45 seconds of control time that I know, for example, Murata is not going to want to do. Murata is not going to be in her back. She's a wrestler. She's not a BJJ girl. She's a wrestler. She has several accolades in wrestling and junior wrestling and championships, whatever else. She's a wrestler. She knows being your back is like foo-foo. You don't do that. So she wants to be in top control. She's not great at it, but she's going to be busy. She's going to start pounding. It's going to be an ugly fight. I like Murata, plus 125, third dog of the night that we like. Murata's coming in here 5-0 and in her last five fights. She's 12-1 overall. You know, Ginger Nova's 3-2 in her last five fights, but again, those losses were against good opposition. So... This one's tough. Like, if, if you're on Ginger Nova and you think she's going to win, you think that her experience, the minus 55, is a good value, hey, I can't really argue with you. I just feel like Murata, you know, her game, the way she plays her game, she has, or the way she fights, she has, like, a little bit more of a, a sense of urgency. And when I watch Ginger Nova fight, there's sometimes, like, a lack of urgency where it's like, I'm okay, I'm in here. And is that indicative of all BJJ fighters? No, but isn't that part of their style? Like, isn't it the philosophy or mantra of a BJJ type of of fighter, if that's their core, that like, hey, patience, submissions, you know, I'm not in it. I'm not going to punch you. I'm going to hold you. Oh, next you know, I got to choke. Oh, my God. Like, you know, like, but that's not MMA. MMA is the whole gamut of things. And if you don't have the submission available, 
you should be doing everything else before that to kind of lead up to that. That's where I think Kanako Murata beats Verna Chijanova. I think she's busier. I think she gets in the ground, gets more strikes. I think she works harder to keep top position, whereas Janjanova is going to be okay with being on her back, the BJJ thing again. So according to Tapology, man, it is just about even. 52% are on Janjanova and 48% are on Murata. So again, we're on Kanaka Murata here. We're on a lot of these dogs uh, here in the prelims card because that's the third one. We like so far Murata, Semmelsberger, and O'Neal as three slight dogs here in the prelims. Let's move on to the last fight of the prelims, and that's going to be Kamur and Negumaradun. Oh, my, that last name is rough. Negumaradun. All right. Um, so our boy here, Nick. All right, Nick. I'm going to try to say it one more time. My God, that name That name is a trap, by the way. You know, um, <laughs> Nick Negumaradun versus Alexa. Alexa. My gosh, these two names are just, um, forgive me. All right, if you're watching this right here, just chop my head off. These pronunciations are rough. Nick Nigamaranu versus Alexa Kamur. All right, got it out. Got it out of my, out of my throat. I'll make this one short and sweet because I was running on there about Jetronoba Murata. I like Kamur. Nick has super-duper low fighter IQ, as you can see here. Um, both fighters have not fought very much. So it's not like, you know, one fighter's coming in here with a lot more experience than the other, but... I like Kamor's game. You know, I, I think he has issues too, so don't get me wrong. Like, he's got holes in his game, and the minus 265 is probably a little too much. Like, that's probably a little too much. But I think that speaks more to how bad Nick Nick is, okay? Nick is 9-1. He's from Romania. If you haven't heard about these Romanian fighters, like, pretty much all their wins before they come to UFC or any kind of Western, you know, promotion are just worthless. Like, they're padded numbers. You look at his last fight, and it was just, oh, my gosh. He ends up getting beaten by a guy who, who's this guy's name? Where is he at right here? Yeah, Sapar, Saparabeg Safarov. Safarov is not a very good fighter. He's definitely middling, lower pack. And Nick went in there and just dropped a big old goose egg. Looked terrible. Was really bad when it came to decision-making. Like, in, the, in certain submission, or not submission, but in certain, like, Grapple situations would give up his back. It's just very foolish. His cardio was bad. Looked terrible. And quite honestly, you know, for Kamor, he's coming in here. And if he's got any brains right now and his corner has any brains, this is like an easy W. All he has to do is just tag him a little bit from the outside, get a few takedowns, and just walk out of there with, with a decision. I do think the decision prop for Kamor winning by decision is probably where you want to go here. Um, yeah, just something to consider. But... This fight's I don't I'm not looking for an exciting fight here. It's gonna be a little bit boring. And I think Alexa I think Alexa Kamor gets a decision win. I think the position control is gonna be a big deal for him. He'll be able to get Nick to the ground, he'll be able to wrestle him down to the ground, you know, hopefully keep that position for a long period of time, and then using that position to be able to just get enough points to have position control. But I mean I have issues with Kamor too. The minus two sixty five is quite a bit. In terms of how we bet this fight, decision prop for Kamor, I like that. A straight-up bet on Kimura, minus 265, we'll take it. I'm not going to parlay him, though, because I do have some little bit of, let's say, trepidation uh, with, with Kimura. There's some issues with his game, too. It's not like he's the most polished fighter. This minus 265 on him for the money line is strictly because Nick is that bad. That's how bad of a fighter he is. So, you know, when you look back at some of Nick's, you know, just recent, you know, fightology or whatever, his, you know, recent history, it's just... Nothing impressive. The last last loss was just terrible. 
Um, and as for Kimura, he's only a six and one too, so it's not like he's fighting anyone significant either. He did lose to William Knight in his last fight, and I think a lot of people look at that. And they're like, "Oh, William Knight, man, he's not that good." I mean, William Knight, when if he can, if he can grab you, which he grabbed pretty much, you know, um, Kimura for three rounds, he grabbed him, held him, just had position. It was not an exciting fight, but it wasn't like William Knight beat the hell out of him. That wasn't the case. William Knight just had position. And when William Knight's on his, like, you know, on his cardio, when he's, like, full and he's fresh, that dude is strong, man. He's a strong little little bottle of uh, energy. So, yeah, but Nick, man, I all I can tell you is that uh, I don't know how he's in the UFC. Here's another guy. Like, I don't know. The last time he fought was 2019. So, like, two years he hasn't fought, but he still has a UFC contract, and he's going to come out here and, I guess, do whatever he's going to do. But he's going to lose the fight. Uh, I'm on Kimura to win. I'm on Kimura again straight up to win the fight. And so... There's the prelims for you, and we're going to work our way right now up to the main card. The first fight on the main card is a welterweight bout between Diego Lima and Matt Brown. I'm going to tell you, full honesty right here, I was on Matt Brown for a good amount of time leading up to the fight, and I think it was a bias. I think I have a little bit of bias towards a guy. like He, just, he has this like blue-collar, gritty... Just all-American type of you know attitude about him. He's a guy you kind of want to like. I'm not saying you don't want to like Diego Lima, but something about Matt Brown you just like. And if you watched Baez fight recently, that means you probably went back and looked at some of the fights that Baez fought and Baez and Brown fought, and that was a really exciting fight where Brown definitely clipped Baez and uh, exposed Baez a little bit. But Baez came back, and then he ends up clipping Brown, and Brown loses the fight. So what does that mean? That means that Matt Brown can hold his own with some of the contenders. That's what it means, you know. Does it mean he could beat Lima? I thought at first, yeah. You know, I started looking at, at Matt Brown. I started looking at, you know, who he's fought recently, um, how he's done. His last two losses, you know, they're not that bad when you consider who he lost. He lost to Miguel Baez. He lost to Carlos Condit. And he went to decision with Carlos Condit. He took a beating. I will say this, like. That's the kind of fight where if they fought 10 times, he loses that fight 10 times. But he was able to go the distance. He, he got punished. He got knocked down, got, you know, bloody face, whatever. And Carlos Condit is no joke. So it was, you know, it was an okay fight. But when you look at Matt Brown, look at his recent, like, when I say recent, let's go back to, like, I don't know, let's go back to 2000 and, and like, 16. You know, he has fought seven fights since 2016. Of those seven fights, he's lost five, and he's won two. He's not on any kind of a upward tick. Um, I think he's a, a good fighter. I think he has a purpose right now in this division. You know, I think even at his age right now, I think he's still, you know, he has he has a role, you know, but he is 40. Um, time is a ticking. He probably doesn't have many more fights left here. 31-year-old Diego Lima super underwhelming recently so like if Diego Lima was actually fighting to his full potential and actually like meeting his potential then he would have been like a minus 300 favorite here like you know he'd be easily 31 year old coming in here Brazilian win the fight you know um I got questions though about his desire to win fights that that's one thing I'll say and that's not a good thing to have like when you start looking at a fighter and you're trying to figure out where you want to put your hard-earned money at do you want a guy who you're like, well, does he want to fight the full you know, three rounds or is he checking out? Like, is he tired? Is he what's going on with this guy? So, I mean, Lima's 15 and eight for a reason, you know, and, and, and Matt Brown's 22 and 18 for a reason. You, you start losing every other fight in the case of Lima situation. 
It just says who you are. Um, now, Liam is going to have a slight reach advantage and a height advantage. He tends to fight with more of a, a curved back, so he doesn't use his like height per se as an advantage. But his kicking game is pretty good. If he uses his head in a good strategy, he should be able to kick Matt Brown enough to get Matt Brown making some changes, get ahead in the fight, which is his kicks, kicks and jabs. Just those two things only should be able to win the fight. In the clinch, you know, that's where it's like it gets a little interesting. You know, Matt Brown's a tough mother. You know, he's a tough dude. But anyway, long story short, I'm on Diego Lima to win. And at minus 177, it's a good value if you want to just bet it straight up. Okay, in terms of a prop bet situation, you know, Lima by decision, I like that. And I like Brown by a KO. So what I mean is if you're on Brown and you think, no, nah, I disagree with everything I'm saying right now. You disagree with me. Don't agree with me. You think Brown's going to win. Brown can KO him. Brown's got some power. Brown's willing to trade with you. So he'll take a few punches. He doesn't mind. You want to hit me a few times, I'm going to hit you back, which could get Brown knocked out too. But I think Lima, who's the more calculated fighter, you know, he's 31. This is a chance for him to, like, get his career under control and get a W against a guy who's respected. The plus 140 on Brown, nah, man, I just don't see it. So I think the minus 177 on Lima, as it is right now, uh, on DraftKings and a few other places, it's a good value. I like Lima to win straight up, and I like Lima on a parlay. So that's the first fight of the main card. Let's move on up to the next fight on the card, which is going to be Silva and Terman. This is going to be the fastest uh, breakdown and recap of the entire card for a few reasons. But Terman's coming off of this uh, USADA steroid, popped him for something. That's a huge red flag. I'm going to tell you right now, if a fighter's coming off of anything where they got popped, got suspended, they're not on that juice anymore, fade them. Um, just fade them. That's what you have to do. Just just, just don't, don't, don't overthink it. Don't, you know, just don't overthink it. Um, he's fighting Bruno Silva, who is <laughs> his first UFC fight, right? So that that's that's one thing. Okay, okay, you know, a little challenging, but that's not the real issue. The first, the real issue is he hasn't fought in three freaking years. Like, how do you not fight for three years? And how old is he? How old is Silva? Let me look at this right now. Let me. You'd guess like he hasn't fought in three years. He must be like twenty-five, right? No, he's thirty-one. Like, so the last time you fought, you were twenty-eight. <laughs> now you're thirty-one. You're like, okay, I get the fighting again, right? Like, it's ridiculous, man. I don't get these layoffs now. They'll tell you like injuries and shit. Like unless you broke your spine, and in the ca that case, you shouldn't be fighting anyway. Like you know, ACL tear is like seven to eight months. Like what did you hurt? Like how bad was it? Three freaking years. You know what happened in three years? Here's what happened. He thought twice about fighting. Right? You know, I don't, I'm not sure if I like this game. Dipped and dabbled in some type of other career choice. Maybe he tried to do like a podcast, like me or a YouTube channel. I don't know. Fail. And he comes back around to like, well, you know what? I can still go in there and I'll, you know, fighting, man. That's what I do. I'm a fighter. Like, I'm calling bullshit on that. So, like, I will say that I'm on Silva to win this fight because Terman is just that much of a question for me. The whole steroid thing, whatever else, just, yeah, I have huge questions about Wellington Terman. Um, now, Wellington Terman is 24. So there's the whole thing of, like, he's young. He can come in and make a bunch of adjustments. As I'm saying this right now, I realize... Oh, my God. Maybe I'm on the wrong person, right? Because 24 years old. I mean, he's 24. He's no longer on the juice, right? This might be the first time I'm actually going to change my bet here on the show. You know what? I'm going to change. I'm going to change. I know, the, I know the screen says here that um, 
Amon Silva. But you know what? Three years is a long time. It's a long time. And even though Wellington, you know, got starched in, in last year in a fight, you know, he's fought four four times in the last three years. You know, he's fought Carl Robertson, he's fought Marcus Perez, fought Andrew Andrew Sanchez, fought you know, Marcio Alexander Jr. You know, you kind of you would think that a guy who's more active should have the advantage. So, man, this is a tough one. You know, actually, let me let me just well, let me reel it back in here. I almost want to like ask you, the audience, what you think here would be the right pick. But you're not here to ask your opinion. You're here to hear my opinion, right? I'm going to tell you this is a tough one. This one's going to be a tough one. And you know, I do feel like a lot of the a lot of the common let's say fight breakdown people, a lot of the common handicappers, they've been leaning, you know, towards, towards Silva, but we just don't know what Silva's going to like. So could Silva come in here and like completely not have been really fighting and not preparing and, you know, yeah, man, this is, this is, this is a tough one. I'll say this. Here's what I'm going to do to make this the easiest way possible. I'm going to say Silva wins the fight, but I'm just not going to bet it. I'm covered, right? Now, if you gotta bet this fight, like it's like, man, it's it, it's matter of life and death, then put your money on Silva. Now, if you like, you need a bigger return because that's the issue. Like, you want the best return, then put a decision prop on Terman. Um, but like, you just don't know what to expect from either fighter, so it's kind of hard here to really get a full grasp. Terman coming in post steroids, Silva coming in. I don't know, reborn again. I don't know how to explain that. So this is in the main card of a UFC event. Oh man, how 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 weird is this, right? So all right, let's move on here to the next fight in the card, which is gonna be Julian Arosa versus Sung Woo Choi. This fight was not easy for me. Uh it's a featherweight bout, 145 pounds. Some things about Arosa, he's twenty five and eight, fighting out the United States, thirty one years old, six foot one. 74 and a half inch reach. Sungwoo Choi is nine and three from South Korea. 28 years old, 145 pounds and a half, six foot with a 74 and a half inch reach. So reach and height is not really an issue. They're both very similar. And I went back and forth on this one. So at one point I was on a Rosa. Okay. My initial breakdown had me leaning towards a Rosa and the big thing for me that was a was a difference maker was the cardio issues that I saw from Arosa in the last rounds of his uh, recent fight. So just pulling up the notes here on Arosa that I, I remember watching this fight. But yeah, so with Arosa, he beat Woodson, which was awesome. Like that was a really nice win for him. Though I think Woodson is so overrated and has no striking power, very limited. But he beat Sean Woodson in June of, tw- June of 2020 last summer. Okay. Um... He went ahead and beat Landweir with which was a huge knockout in the first round, like just completely starched Landweir, which is a really nice win. And that's probably the reason why people are giving him more credit than maybe he deserves. Um but when you look closely at the Woodson fight, third round, Julian Arosa, he's kinda gassed. Now he gets a submission win there, and that was impressive. I think that Sung Woo Choi has this great gas tank, great cardio. So let's say by round two and a half to round three, the fight is somewhat even, meaning they've both got a takedown. They've both had some top position. They've both landed their strikes. I think Sungwoo Choi separates himself second half of the second round, third round on volume. 
He's a fresher fighter. His volume's there. Now, he is a little bit younger, but only by three years. So the, the age is not a big factor. But he tends to fight younger. He's got this vigor about him. And I will say this. You know, recently I've been trying to fade the Asian Far Eastern fighters. But, you know, Sung Woo Choi is legit, man. You look at some of the fights that he's had recently and some of the fights that he's won and how he's done. Like, this guy is legit. Um, he's got wins recently over Yusuf Zalal and Zuman Makatararian. He did lose to Gavin Tucker by a choke in the third round. He did lose to Masvar Ivlov by decision. But the last two wins, especially against Yusuf Zalal and Zuman Mokhtarian, they were really good wins, like unanimous decisions. He looked good. He was quick on his feet. With Julian Arosa, you know, I see that round one, he's great. Like, he comes out there with a good game plan. He's 25-8, and eight, and that's not for nothing. Like, he's coming in on a three-fight winning streak, having beat Nate Lindwehr, Sean Woodson, A.J. Bryant. Now, prior to that three-fight winning streak, guess what he was on? A three-fight losing streak against Julio Arce, Grant Dawson, Devontae Smith. Yeah, you guessed it. Who, who, and who? Like, so, yeah, I, I don't think that Julian Arosa is, like, an amazing fighter. I think he's a pretty smart fighter. You know, I think he uses the tools that are available to him. Um, I think he's got a decent chin. He could take some shots. You know, um, in this fight, Size-wise, they're almost equal. You know, it's six foot one, seventy-four inch reach for Julian Arosa, and six foot seventy-four inch reach for Zhang Chai Choi. So, in terms of fighter IQ, you see, I have three stars for Arosa and two stars for Zhang Choi. The reason I gave three stars for to Arosa is he's got a survival instinct about him that I noticed, which is that's a good thing. You, they all need that—the ability to take a punch, get hurt, and survive all that nonsense. Sung Woo Choi is a little younger, only 9-3. So dude's only fought 12 fights. So I gave him two stars. I want to see more from him. I think at the minus 150 favorite coming in here, I think we see more from him. I do think it's a tough fight. I think it goes decision. I don't think either guy's going to end the fight. So in terms of prop bets, I do like Arosa by decision or Choi by decision. Now, I've had some people say, oh, knockout, both guys. No. There's going to be points in this fight where, remember, it's only 15 minutes. Th those five-round fights are different. Three-round fights, it's 15 minutes. You know, Choi doesn't mind grappling, doesn't mind grappling. Neither does Arosa. So some of that 15 minutes is going to get cut way down. And the amount of time they're both actually striking and throwing is going to get cut way down. Choi's a smart fighter. I gave him only two out of five, but he's smart enough to know where his tool shed's at. And Arosa kind of too. Arosa knows he may have to open the fight up and make it crazy at some point just to be able to have a chance to get a knockout or some kind. But Choi's going to outsmart him. It goes the distance. And I think one of the two fighters win by decision, but I'm going to lead towards Choi winning by decision. So there we are on that one. Let's move on here to the next fight of the night, and that's going to be Marlon Vera versus Davy Grant. This is a rematch. They fought years ago, and the first time they fought, Davy Grant won by decision. Um, so now you're thinking, all right, it's been years later, and uh, Marlon Vera's going to come in here, correct his ways, and get a W, right? Especially if you look at their fight history, their recent fight history. Like, Marlon Vera's fought, like, nine, ten fights since the last time he's fought Davy Grant, and Davy's fought, like, five fights. And in those five fights, he's got three wins, two losses. So... You know, Marlon's been more busy. He's been active. He's he's actually fought some really good people. I mean, think about his last few fights. Vera's been there with Jose Aldo. Lost by decision. Okay, whatever. 
Sean O'Malley. He beat Sean O'Malley, but that was more like a weird Sean O'Malley. I got hurt my ankle type of thing. The fight before that, Yadong Song loses by decision. So just the last three fights alone for Marlon Vera, he's been in there with some of the top-level fighters in the division. Now, two losses and a win. And the win was like, eh, you know. So he's got that going for him, right? Davey Grant, he owns a restaurant. He doesn't even fight really full-time. He's like, I do this as like a, a side thing. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm an international man. You know, I've got all kind of stuff going on, 34 years old. He's pimping. He's already been on the record to say, listen, my restaurant is a shit. I make a lot of money. I'm good. I just fight to like whatever, you know, get my rocks off. That's concerning if you're thinking about the desire to win. Whereas Marlon Vera has got a family. I think one of his children has, has an ailment, some kind of a sickness. He's trying to make bread, make money, make moves, you know. But Davy Grant is like this slippery, salamandery type of greasy white boy. And I don't love it when Marlon Vera gets tagged that he does this like thing where he covers up. Like when you hit Marlon Vera, everyone takes shots differently and every guy kind of has different adjustments. But when your adjustment is to shell up and like head down, chin down, hands over my head, can't see anything coming at this point. I just want to go to the dark place. Um, it doesn't look great. And I, and, I, and I fear for Vera because I was initially on Vera I thought at minus 250, it was warranted. It made some sense to me. He's fought better competition. And, of course, his opponent, Mr. Grant, not only has he not fought a lot of fights recently, he's just, you know, fighting, you know, <laughs> I guess okay competition. Now, he did fight as recently as March, and he got a nice knockout over Jonathan Martinez. But Jonathan Martinez is like, he's okay. He's not very accomplished. I think he's better than what his record shows right now at 13 and whatever, 4. But, you know, he just hasn't fought a lot. He's chilling. He's relaxing. He's had some breaks in there. Um, but I think the free-willing spirit of Grant and the and the high volume is going to be a problem. I don't want Vera to lose in terms of who he is as a person. This win is probably more important for him, the guy who's trying to make his money in here, pay the bills versus a guy who's got a restaurant, who's making moves, international man about business, you know. But I hate to say it. I think Grant is going to repeat the initial fight. He won by decision the first time. I think he comes in here. He tags Vera too much. Vera starts that shell-up game. And it just doesn't look good. You know, the body language does not look good. So I, I got Grant winning here. And Grant's a plus 195 um, as a dog. So that's our first. I'm sorry. That's our second dog that we're on here of the main card. We were on. I'm sorry. That's our first dog of the main card that we are on. Because we went with Lima. We went with Silva. Uma Choi, all favorites for the main card. This is our first dog of the night that we are on for the main card, and we're going with Grant. In terms of a prop bet and how it's going to work out, I do think it goes decision either way. So if you're on Vera and you think, no, nah, no, nah, Vera's going to do it, he's got the volume, he's got the pace, he's going to get in there, get the clinch positions, whatever you think he's going to do to win, take Vera by decision. And if you like Grant, don't mess with stuff. I mean, decision is a plus 465, so that is super saucy. And very tempting, but if you're going to parlay Grant for some reason, or you're just not sure, you don't want, you just got a little, little like unsure, just take Grant by decision. I think this dude figures out a way to win the fight. He's 11 and four for a reason. You know, only four losses in 15 fights. He can hold his own. So, all right, let's move on up here to the co-main event of the night, and we have a heavyweight bout featuring the old man Alexei Olenek versus Sergey Spivak. Now. This will be one of my shorter breakdowns of the night. I don't want to waste time in this fight because um, this, to me, was pretty pretty straightforward and simple. 
Alexei Olenek is 59 and 15 and one. Dude's like fought like 80 fights in his career. From Russia, 43 years old, man. Six foot two, 80 inch reach. I mean, 80 inch reach. It's too bad he can't box. Sergey Spivak is 12 and two. All right, only 26 years old. So this dude is like wet behind the ears, just getting his feet wet here in MMA. Six foot three, 78 inch reach. And so, unless Sergey comes in here and completely makes a big mistake of putting like like literally just fall down, get on all fours, put my head out there, and let Alexei just get a nice free choke position. Unless Sergey does that, there's almost no way Sergey could lose the fight. Alexei's not like a hard leg kicker. He's not a heavy, heavy punch thrower. Alexei has one way to win the fight. That's by submission. So as long as Sergey just simply keeps his distance, jabs him, he wins a really boring three-round heavyweight fight. Okay. And if you're Sergey, you're gonna have people chirping and saying, Oh man, you should be able to finish that guy. He's 43. He's, oh man, don't don't fall into that nonsense. Okay, you don't want to lose a fight to Alexei Olenek, not right now. Don't want to do that. Just get the damn win. Stay on the outside, jab him, hit him. If the fight has a chance to go to the ground, just let him go, Sergey. Just get off of him, get up. If you have top control, just get up and kick him a few times because there's only one way Olenek can win the fight. Now, second thing about Olenek, as he's gone on here in age, a ton of his recent fights have all ended in him getting finished. Okay, so when he lost, I think his last four losses have all been by finish. He's either been choked or KO'd or TKO'd or something of that nature. He does not go to the third round. Okay, so once again for Sergey, if you could just tag him up and jab him for the first round and a half or so, by then Alexei's going to get super duper tired. You go into round three, Alexei has nothing, no power behind his punches, no cardio. He's done, done, done. So I'm going to be parlaying Spivak on a few things. And man, I hope he doesn't do the same thing that Hamlet did to me yesterday with PFL, but I'll be, I'll be parlaying Spivak on a few things and taking him straight up probably on a two unit bet at minus two, two, five. I think at minus two, two, five, that's just about right. That's one of the most accurate numbers on the entire card. And a at plus 175, I see no value as a dog. And based upon all the candy handicappers I try to tune into and listen to, I haven't heard anyone suggest that there's any value there for Linux. So yeah, man, 43 years old, the time's a tick in. I think the young Moldovian fighter here, Sergey Spivak gets the W and we're going to move on. By the way, decision there for Spivak as a prop bet. I like that um, as a prop bet. That's maybe one way you can get a positive number there for Spivak instead of the minus 225. But look, if you get a parlay, it just takes Spivak by minus 225, take him, take him with the parlay piece because there's a chance Linux just literally just says, you know what, I'm exhausted, I'm done. That might that might show up a few different ways. Maybe Spivik lands a few punches. Olenek's not really hurt, but he's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm out of here. I'm just tired. Okay. So that moves us on to the main event of the night. Unfortunately, this card here has been really thin. There are no belts in the line. Um, the main event, though, is interesting, as it can be, right, for a Vegas, you know, event here for UFC. We've got Chan Sung Jung versus Dan Ige. And classic situation like this, most of this card was, I was initially on Ige. I, I thought he's got some nice power. You know, he showed some power in his recent fights. I saw some things, I saw some things, saw some things in him that I really liked a lot. He's coming in here four and one. There's word or rumors that Chan Sung Jung is like slowing down. I mean, 34 years old, like he's not super duper old, but he's 34 and Dan Ige is 29. But man, you start looking at the recent fights they both have fought and um 
let's start off here with, with Ige. Let me let me go, let me look at Ige here for a second. Just kind of go over some recent things that I saw with him. So, the Gavin Tucker knockout, kind of a fluke knockout, like really fast, like twenty seconds in the first round. He just catches him with a a jab and a straight, knocks out Gavin Tucker. But over the course of of Ige's career, he hasn't really shown knockout power. That was kind of a fluke thing. Now Gavin Tucker came to that fight thirteen and one, so he had some steam. It was a nice knockout for Ige. Um, the prior fight he fought. Calvin Qatar though, and Calvin Qatar, who was in that coming into that fight twenty one and four, and is a good fighter, completely outclassed Ige. Okay, so Ige was on his heels, backing up, getting hit, got really beat up, man. His face, his his eye was swollen. He was beat up. It was not a good fight for him at all. Um, so that was a that was kind of like a glaring like, wait a second, how good is Ige? You know, his fight before that, though, he beat Edson Barbosa. So, like, he's got some nice wins. He's beaten Kevin Aguilar, Jordan Griffin. But I don't know that I'm fully sold that Dan Ige is, like, all that and then some. You know, I'm just um, – he's not all that in a bag of chips for me. I think that the Korean fighter who has fought some dudes – I mean, like, when you look at – you know, look at Chan Sung Jung. Like, he's actually been in the ring with some guys. You know, like, he beat Edgar. He lost a decision to Brian Ortega. You know, he lost to Yair Rodriguez by – Oh my gosh, that's a round five elbow. But like he's been almost five rounds with Yair Rodriguez. He's he's lost to Jose Aldo. He's he's beaten guys like Frankie Edgar. He's lost a decision to guys like Brian Ortega. The last fight, go watch the decision loss he lost to Ortega. Okay, Ortega versus uh the Korean zombie. Ortega looks great, man. He's clean. That's part of the rise of Ortega, the recent rise. We've seen how clean he is. He's not just a wrestler now, he can strike. He looked good. But he didn't kick the shit out of Chen Jung Jung. Uh, he didn't kick the shit out of the Korean Zombie. Korean Zombie was able to hold his own. He lost by decision. You know, at some point he got knocked down. Like he showed that he's got a decent chin. Like it was a decision loss to one of the best fighters in the entire division. Like, think about that. Like he lost by decision against one of the best fighters in the entire division. Like what does that mean? That means you're a step or so below the best fighter in the entire division, more or less, right? Is that what? Dan Ige is? Nah, man. Nah, nah, nah. I feel like Dan Ige in a five-round fight, fourth round, five-round, didn't love his gas tank recently in some of his fights. I think the Korean zombie, he knows coming off of a loss how important this win is for him. So he just lost to Brian Ortega. Again, not a... That's fine. That's totally okay. Like, he knows, man. The Korean zombie's gonna come in here completely ready for the fight. This is a pick em fight, so there's no favorites either way. You know, in terms of in terms of the money line, but I think he comes in here, you know, gets it right. You know, fixes what he did wrong in prior fights. You know, gets his cardio completely well rounded. I think Ige. How do I explain this? I think Ige is like a really good fighter. Like he has a lot of promise, but I don't think he's that elite level. I don't think he's ever a guy who's going to win a championship or really be a top contender. I like I like what he offers. He's a he's a decent gatekeeper. Um, he's motivated and the minus 125 coming into this fight. I could see it. I understand like that knockout that he had recently when he went ahead and knocked out, um, uh, Gavin Tucker, people saw that, man. They're like all over that. It was exciting, but look at the Calvin Qatar fight. Trust me. Look at that fight and tell me you walk away thinking that, you know, Dan, you know, Danny Gay is like a legit, like top level contender. No, man, I, I know. No, he's not. He's not. So. I'm on the plus 105 situation. Well, actually, well, it depends. It went up and down, right? It was it was equal money. Then it went plus 105 for Chan Jung. But either way, we're on the Korean zombie here. Um, I think he gets W. 
I think for Dan EJ, this is just a little, you know, Dan EJ, I mean, it's a little blip in the road. I think he keeps training, gets better, a lot more fighting in front of him. Uh, for the Korean Zombie, 34 years old, he knows the window is closing. You know, he's got a short window of opportunity here. I think that sense of urgency forces him to push the pace, put Dan on his on his heels. That's one big thing I don't love about Ige. He, he, he will have a tendency to get back on his heels. He did it against Qatar. Like, Qatar was pushing tempo, and then he's, like, back on his heels. Like, you never want to be the guy on your back or back on your heels or running. Like, in any close fight, that's never going to be a situation you want to be in. It's not going to be good for the judges. It's not going to look good. So, anyway, that wraps up the main card here. Um, let me go run back through our entire card and give you our picks as a as a summary. Um, let's hope this weekend goes better than last weekend for UFC. Last weekend for UFC was like a I was like running in quicksand. You know, never quite can get ahead. Basically ended up 50-50, right? All right, so let's go through the main card here. We'll work our way back down to the prelims. Just give you our win-losses, who we think is going to win the fight. So we're the Korean Zombie to win over Ige. We like Spivak winning over Olenek. Grant winning over Vera. Choi beating Arosa. Silva in a fight you can't really predict anything, but Silva beating Terman. Uh, Lima beating Brown. Kamor beating Nick. Uh, Marata beating Janjaroba. We've got Semmelsberger upsetting Williams, Parisian beating Martinez, and Glenn beating Silva. And the last one was the first fight of the night, which is going to be O'Neill beating Procopia. So in terms of the dogs that we like, we've got, a, we've got a handful of them, but some of them are very small dogs. On the prelim, we like O'Neill as a plus 125, Semmelsberger as a plus 140, Marata as a plus 125. In the main card, we only have one. Well, I mean, let me let me backtrack here. In the main card, we are on Grant. Yep, we're on Grant at plus one ninety five over Vera, and that is the only dog that we're on. Okay, in terms of the main event, that's going to be a pickup, like I said. So, just quick recap of the dogs of the night: we are on Grant beating Vera, we're on Marata beating Janjaroba, we're on Semmelsberger beating Williams, and O'Neill beating Procopia. So. There you go. That's the full breakdown for UFC 29, which is coming up this Saturday. We apologize for coming out with a late episode this week. We usually try to do Wednesday or Thursday, but there was just so much going on this week. And also, this entire card was very difficult. I mean, if you couldn't sense it in the breakdown today, it was hard to get a lean. I mean, some some fighters hadn't fought in a long time. Some guys are coming with like big question marks. Um, some fights are just really evenly matched, you know, so... Or in some cases, like you have two heavyweights who just don't belong in the UFC, you know, with <laughs> Parisian and Martinez. But in any case, I hope this helps you out. If this video today was helpful for you, if you end up catching some bets and you win and you want to come on back here and hit the like button after you win, do that. If you like the video today, hit the like button right now. If you want to subscribe so you get more videos from our channel, please do so. We appreciate whatever support you can give us. We do not sell anything. We don't have any Patreon accounts, no no Venmos, nothing of that nature. We're not looking for any direct money. What we do want, though, is your support as viewers. So please like the channel, share, subscribe, um, give us some comments. Let us know how we can be better. If we've been good and we helped you get some winners, put in the comments. If we sucked and we screwed up a parlay for you or we caused you to lose, Hit us up, complain, let us know. We're, we're here for all of that. So anyway, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you being here. Wish you the best of luck from the bottom of my heart at UFC 229 here in Vegas. And uh, yeah, peace out.